You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in college, I had a professor uh, that was very wise, and he even had the mannerisms of a wise man. He, he had a gray beard, and he looked pensive, and he had the, the walk of just slow and calmness. And this professor, a lot of uh, students you would see file in and out of his office because uh, they were seeking some kind of relief from their anxious college souls. And um, in this particular instance... Uh, I remember him uh, with students that would bring to him their burdens and their packages of all that comes with uh, the college life, the, uh, the classes, the social activities, the uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, the just friends, all the things that go with it and much more. And he would sit there and he would listen intently and kind of nod his head and listen. And uh, after they finished, he would pause and just stare at them intently. And he, and he would tell them with all these burdens that they would unbear. He would tell them what I call the parable of the coffee cup. He would hold up his coffee cup. And he said, have you ever tried to uh, fill your coffee cup to the very tip top, to the rim? Because if you do and you scurry off to class, you probably have burned your hand before. But I tell you that if you don't fill your coffee cup all the way and you leave a little room, you probably won't burn your hand. And he said the same could be said for your life, that if you just leave a little room, uh, you might not get burned either. Well, uh, when he would say things like this, it would shock us and kind of awe us. And we would be uh, on one hand, but we need to fill our coffee cup all the way because the cafeteria only allows us so much coffee. We need to fill it up completely. But on the other hand, we would be shocked and awed because uh, his sayings and wisdom would uh, really speak into the depths of our lives. And that's kind of where we find ourselves here in in Matthew 5, that Jesus has begun his ministry. He has proclaimed to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's drawn large crowds because uh, of his words and of his actions. And he's called his disciples, and they've responded. And he's ascended uh, on top of this mountain, and he's taken a seat. And uh, as he takes a seat, his disciples gather around him, and they listen to his wise words. And in our passage today, he says, he says to them a couple of interesting things. He says, you are salt, and that you are light. You are the salt of the earth and you are light. Interesting statements uh, from Jesus, especially um, using terms like salt. Why would he use a term like salt? Well, unlike us today in the modern era, uh, we have refrigerators, but they did not then. Uh, they had to use salt for, to preserve their food and their meats, otherwise it would decay and spoil. And he's calling the disciples, he's calling them, he's telling them, you are the salt you are the salt of the earth to keep it from decaying and spoiling uh, in this sin-laden earth. And uh, I think it's common for us, you know, to hear uh, things like this, that you, or, or to hear promises in Scripture 
uh, especially beforehand Beatitudes, he says things like, those who, will, those who mourn will be comforted, and those who are gentle uh, will inherit the earth, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, will be satisfied. But here, uh, it's a bit different, because there are statements, they are active statements about their being, about who they are as salt and light. And so he continues, and he tells them that you are light, not that they are to become light, not that they need to attain light, not that they need to learn how to shine, but that in their doings, in their saltiness, um, that they are these things. Jesus has made them light uh, to shine, not to hide, not to put them under a basket, but to shine for the whole world to see, to see their good works and uh, so that the world will give glory to their Father who is in heaven. Well, how can these things be true? Um, how can Jesus just say, you are salt and you are light, uh, and it is? How does this happen? Well, I think uh, a couple things here. First, uh, I think we just take Jesus simply at his word. Right? When Jesus says something, it is. For when he says, uh, let there be light, there is light. When he says, let there be, there is. And when he says, you are, you are. And when he declares, I am who I am and I will be who I will be, he has always been and he always will be. So we can simply take him at his word. But also, uh, and 17 through 20, Jesus tells us how we are, how we, he has proclaimed us salt and light. He tells us he fulfills all the law and the prophets for the disciples and for you. In verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish or to do away with the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish or to destroy them, but to fulfill them. So what's this mean? What what does this mean that he has come to fulfill and not to destroy? And for uh, what, what would the disciples be hearing? Well, first, it means exactly what he contrasts it with. It means that it will fulfill, but not do what? It won't destroy. He won't destroy it, not to do away with it. That the law still goes. It has simply not just been done away with. All God's word from Moses all the way through the prophets are still legit. They're still valid. And it's worth noting that Jesus doesn't just mention the law. He speaks of fulfilling the law and the prophets. So it's not just merely his keeping of the law, but fulfilling his accomplishing the law and the prophets. So how do we know the law is still valid? Because Jesus continues in verse 18. For truly I tell you that not the smallest letter, not a dot, not a crossing of the T, not an iota, will be done away with, until all is accomplished. And then Jesus still doesn't stop there. He actually ups the stakes in verse 20. He tells you, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, that it goes beyond, is better than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the lawkeeper of all lawkeepers, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you do better than the ultimate lawkeepers, the spiritual elite, you will never take part in the kingdom of heaven. The trouble with passages and reading ones like this 
is our human instincts and how we're prone to respond to something like this in a to-do kind of fashion. A certain we need to fulfill or be enough for God or even for ourselves or for those or the world around us. Um, but and and Jesus he doesn't he kind of uh, it doesn't leave any room for us to think that way here because he he talks about it further in uh, verse nineteen. Therefore, anyone who sets aside or relaxes one of the least of these commands, a dot or an iota will be called least in the kingdom. A lot of us have admitted to these relaxings already in our lives, like the sayings of, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not like this guy over here. Or I know I'm not perfect, or, but I haven't murdered anyone. Or I've made sure to follow the important rules, and the little ones can just kind of uh, slide away. In our, one of our confessions, uh, particularly I think it's in the morning, we ask for forgiveness for the things which we ought not, uh, ought not to have done and for the things left undone that we ought to have done. In some of my schooling to be a chaplain, um, I had a cohort of other people with me and we would have to present what we would call verbatims to one another. And a verbatim is simply a document, a word-for-word document uh, about a pastoral encounter with somebody else, with a patient. And I tell you that uh, when you put a document, a word-for-word document in front of somebody, not a dot or a crossing of the T is missed in front of this cohort. Um, Because they would be quick to point out the things that I had missed, such as, why didn't you ask about that patient's social life or why I had missed, missed the patient who wanted to talk about something else, some kind of emotional thing that they were going through. There is ought not the things that you should not do in life that you may not know you actually do. And then there are oughts that you should do that you also probably don't recognize. The blind spots in our lives. And if you aren't so sure about that, I'm sure you could ask somebody sitting next to you or your neighbor or somebody that knows you pretty well, maybe your husband or your wife, and they'll be quick to point out to you those things that you're not aware of. And Jesus uh, doesn't really just stop at our doings, but he continues on in, later in the Sermon on the Mount. And he, tell, he says, You've heard it said, Do not murder and do not commit adultery, but I tell you, you are liable to judgment if your anger burns at someone else. And that to look at somebody else lustfully you have committed adultery already in your heart. On the other side of Jesus proving that the law is all just still valid and it's not going away, um, even to the smallest parts of God's word, uh, is that in verse 20, Jesus explains the disciples' need for an even better righteousness, than, a better righteousness than the spiritual elite, the the. Law keepers of all law keepers, keeping the law and its uh, regulations as the scribes and Pharisees saw it and interpreted it was never going to be enough. For the disciples along the lines of law keeping, who in the world could do something like that? Um, Because if they were doing something like that, they were probably a scribe or a Pharisee themselves. But let's not miss the point. The point is that even the Pharisees, the elite, the best of the best, at keeping the law, needed a better righteousness. 
In both cases, those who pass over the law, those who believe Christ has done away with the law, and so we can kind of pick and choose, and those who keep it to the absolute full, believing that they can uh, earn their reward and earn their righteousness through the law, both essentially do the same thing. They both create their own law. They create their own rule of life. They're under the impression that they can fulfill their own lives and their own rules and regulations. They've taken the reins for themselves. What can be painful or even alarming uh, about all of this is how you and I, uh, we don't fall far from this way of thinking. The tendency you and I have, the thought process, um, can sound maybe something like this. Blessed is the most productive chaplain, for he will gain approval until uh, he's less productive. Blessed are those who hunger for power. Because maybe someday, maybe, they will finally feel powerful enough until someone else proves to be more powerful. Blessed are you who thirst for busyness because someday you will have done enough until you haven't. And blessed are you when you get a thousand likes on Instagram or retweets on Twitter. Because then that means people want to be just like you until your next post when you only get eight likes and then only eight people want to be like you. This is the tendency uh, you and I fall into. The self-focused sort of how do we make ourselves good enough for God or for ourselves or for our neighbor. Thankfully, this is a misconstrued understanding about the law and the prophets and what they're all about. It is not about the law so much in this passage, but it is about to whom the law and the prophets are pointing to and toward. Jesus is not saying to the disciples or to us just to try harder and you'll get there, or to be better, or even uh, don't worry about all these things. Jesus explains that all the law and the prophets is actually about him, and our need uh, for this better righteousness that he's talking about. Much later in Matthew, Jesus is in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, and he's praying with his disciples uh, when Judas and a crowd of people with the ultimate law keepers come uh, to arrest him. And one of the disciples, of course, pulls out a sword and cuts off uh, the ear of uh, one of those people trying to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, put away your sword. Do, not, do you not think that I cannot appeal to the Father? And at once he would send twelve legions of angels. But then, but then, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? That all this is taken place, uh, has, has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then in Luke, when Jesus is walking with the two strangers on the road to Emmaus, um, He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And from from, uh, the beginning of Moses to all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The point is that Jesus has come, as he said, to fulfill the law and the prophets. The point is not that we are supposed to look better, but look on the one who is. He claims, I am the light of the world. 
the one who is the light of the world. And as Isaiah tells us that we, like sheep, have all gone astray. We've all turned on our own way, but he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He didn't call the 12 legions of angels and was stricken for the transgression of many. And that this righteous one, God's servant, makes many to be accounted as righteous. Jesus in his person, in his death, and in his resurrection is the fulfillment, the accomplishment of all the law and the prophets. And Jesus gifts his righteousness, his right communion with the Father to the disciples and to us. The righteous one who stands between us and the Father makes us righteous. So how do we make sense of this and how do we make sense of the proclaimed identity that you are salt and you are light to the world. Honestly, uh, I love how Paul just puts flesh on so many things that I feel inadequate to put flesh on. In Philippians 3, he says uh, this concerning himself. If someone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a true law-keeping Pharisee, zealous for Jewish belief to the point of persecuting Christians. And as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. And he says, but it is we, actually, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, Whatever uh, were gains that I had from all that law-keeping, uh, I consider a loss. It's like salt that's lost its saltiness, or water that's lost its wetness. For the sake of being found in Jesus, uh, for the sake of being found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness gifted to me by faith based on the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, so then let us uh, then live up to what we have already attained. To what you've already attained. So this is how we make sense of you are salt and that you are light. Because when Jesus speaks it, it is. He's called and they've responded to this call. And that means that God has already granted you ways of being salt and light. Being the salt of Christ uh, as a parent, being the light of Christ as a teacher, as a husband, as a wife, a daughter or a son, a friend or a lawyer or a pastor, or even just a member of this community. You are salt here and you are light. Being the salt of Christ, uh, so let your light then, that you've already attained to, by the righteousness of Jesus shine so that others, the world, uh, and us even, see and give glory to our Father in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.